amazing words. Amazing God. You know, the reality is so much of what we just sang in the past three songs are so intricately connected to biblical truth that it would take weeks to unpack, but are so, I hope, I'm hoping, encouraging to you as we think through those things. But the reality is this morning as we look at walking worthy, having true freedom in our fellowship with our Lord, these are aspects of that truth that take a lifetime to really grasp and wrap our minds around. How free am I really? We sang the chains have been loosed from us through Christ. We think of death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, telling us God has given to us the victory, conquered even death. But are we just free from that in the resurrection? Are we not free now and living that? We come before a holy God. After singing that song, you'd almost say we stand on holy ground because our souls are before that throne, right? And yet that's the very thing that convicts us because we're not what we need to be. This morning as we begin, and I sure hope we can make the most of the time that we have. I'll try to do that. You have your notes with you, I hope. Realize that when we talk about walking worthy, we talk about this Christian life and living in freedom, every single one of us is in this spectrum of relationship to God. Whether you have none at all, you've been trying to do it on your own, You've never humbled your heart before him and him alone for your salvation. Those that have just begun this journey are starting to realize, hey, you know, this is kind of hard. But there's a new heart inside of you and you desperately desire to do what is right. And the Spirit of God is calling you to walk with him. It's just not been working out so well. There's some here this morning, you've had a long fight. And maybe you haven't been winning lately with what you know to be right, and yet in you and in your habits of life, you've started to see the consequences of what living in the flesh and living in the world and your desires truly brings. I'm confident also that there are some among us here this morning that have fought that fight, are so close to the Lord, holding on to Him, knowing that victory, And we'll be the first to stand up this morning and tell us all, listen, it's worth it, but I'm looking forward to that day when we don't have this fight. But every single one of us needs these reminders. I need these reminders. We cannot walk worthy and honor the Lord if we are not close to Him. And this is not another law laid on our lives. This is fellowship with Him. And if we are not close to Him, we will be far from the standard, there's no doubt. I'm so thankful that he's at work in our hearts and lives. And this morning, we do need to jump in. If you would, turn to Galatians chapter 5. And you have your notes there. We're going to be kind of walking through this, not in detail. We don't have the time for that. But in this six-week series, just as a recap, on the back of your notes there, you'll see we talked about how God has made us salt and light. He's made us to impact the world And in light of that, we realize he's refining us. He's pulling that gypsum out of our life. He's getting our saltiness factor up, our impact factor up as he refines us and allows us to invest in forever, real investments, real meaning, real value. We talked about the gospel. He has secured forever for us. It's in him and him alone that that work was done. And last time we talked about calling, how We've been called to walk as his children, as children of the light. And we left off with, well, that's great aspiration. How do we do that? And so this morning, we're going to look at how God enables us to live by freedom, in freedom, but only in fellowship. I know it's July, and we had July 4th a while back. I'm thinking of these founding fathers, and it seems appropriate to tie some of these early 1700s events into what we're talking about here. Benjamin Franklin, the last day of the Constitutional Convention, was asked on the steps of that building by young Elizabeth, whoever, what do we have? Long investment over the summer, 10 years of a dysfunctional Constitution at that point, the Articles of Confederation, and we had this 
desire to know what was going to happen to this country, to this experiment. And he was asked, well, what do we have? Do we have a republic or a monarchy? And, of course, his famous words are, well, we have a republic if you can keep it. Now, the reason why that's so important is because it highlights a knowledge even of those founding fathers, very wise from the study of history and the knowledge of the word, no doubt. But they realized that the drift is to lose it, not to keep it, to fight, to spill blood to secure it, and to see it lost over time and sometimes in a short amount of time. You see, tyranny is the default of our flesh. You look around the world, it all drifts to tyranny. It all drifts to oppression. And you guys look and see that the fruits of tyranny and oppression is, is pain and hurt and heartache and loss and death. And yet the heart of man, even for the sake of the good for the moment, would seek to destroy the protections of liberty and freedom, true liberty and freedom, and bind it again, leading to the same end that men gave their life to have victory over. Tyranny is the default of our flesh. You see, all this took place in the middle to the late 1700s. 1776, this Revolutionary War was fought. 1780s, 86, we have our Constitution. In the early 1700s, the French Revolution, that bastion of overthrowing monarchy and securing liberty, was very keenly a disaster in the eyes of many. Edmund Burke wrote of this before supporting the colonists in our own country and saw the butchery and the blood that was spilled in France in the name of liberty. The very ones that were the liberators of France became their oppressors and a murderous rage ran across the whole of the country that he wrote of that liberty, freedom, without morality, without virtue, is vice. It's the worst of evils. So when you speak of these things, when we talk about these principles, Paul speaks to us of this same thing from the first century, a century in the Roman Empire where slavery defined over half of the population. Where many in the church, in fact, some would even argue majority in the church were either slaves or at least party to that institution. And sometimes we distance ourselves from these things and we would stand up and say, like the Jews did to Jesus, well, we're not slaves. Of course, they knew that wasn't true because they went on to say, and we've never been. Of course, they were freed from bondage in Egypt and yet we can be very dishonest in our own lives and say, I can quit any time. It's not a big deal. I can handle this, even when the echoes of the Spirit in your own heart tell you it's not true. I've got great truth for all of us this morning, and Paul shares this in Galatians extensively, but also through Romans 5, 6, 7, 8, that we can truly live free, but it's God who enables us to do this, not in and of ourselves. And sometimes what happens Oh, I should say, all the times what happens when we struggle with going back to that bondage is we're again doing it alone, not in fellowship, or on our own as if we're the ones that have to do it. And I just want to say before we get into this this morning, if you take away this morning that you just need to be better and do better and lay another law on your life to be what God has called you to be, Paul will even say, you're wrong. You missed the point. The point is that doesn't work. Hopefully we can share that this morning. The question I want to ask of you, though, is do you really desire victory? You know, we would quickly say, yes, absolutely. But I'm sure you've known many that have been enslaved in various ways to addictions. And if you've walked through life with them at all, you realize there comes a point where you do have to decide, where they have to decide, do you really want this more than what you're enslaved to? Do you really want freedom and change more than what you're enslaved to? Because the truth is, 
often the answer is no. And yes, we want different consequences. We don't want to lose the family. We don't want to lose the job. We don't want to lose face. But often that addiction is such a cruel tyrant that we submit to, we go back. And the truth is, in those moments, we want it more than the loss of the rest. Galatians chapter 3, Paul, he himself exclaims to the Galatians, Who has bewitched you? You know the truth, but having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You know, those of you that submitted your life to Christ and are looking to walk with Him and follow Him and then go back to those same patterns as if it's going to be any different, have missed the point. In this case, it's to the law, to those patterns that were being taught to them by Jewish teachers coming in and saying, yeah, Jesus is good, but He's not good enough. It's Jesus plus this. And let me tell you, it's not just isolated to those in the first century, to the Judaizers they were called. So many aspects of even Christianity today, denominations of Christianity today would preach the same gospel. It's faith in Jesus and then this and then that and then maybe. That's not the gospel. I'm so grateful in 1 Corinthians 15 it says, He is the one who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we begin this morning, this principle of being free, having great difference between living it, is central. Because what you see here is he's going to present to the Galatians and to us this morning that you are indeed free in Christ if you have placed your faith exclusively in him and you're not adding on to him as somehow an addition to that. But living it is different, and how quickly we go back. We've been bewitched by these things that have been taught to us, by these habits ingrained in us. And so as we look at Galatians chapter 5, let's just look at the first few verses. And again, we aren't going to be able to unpack every aspect of the the Judaism that's being injected here, um, but we're going to be looking at this principle of freedom in Christ. And In verse 1, we see this incredible statement, which actually drives much of what we're going to look at this morning. It's starting off with, For freedom Christ has set us free. No conditions, no exceptions. It's a statement of reality. Here's the command. Stand firm. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And let me be honest, every single one of us have done that in various forms if we're truly in Christ. Maybe for the sake of slavery, some of us have never actually humbled ourselves before Him alone. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, these are the works of the flesh. This is the covenant that was meant to be an addition to grace, an an addition to Christ. He's crucified and and you believe in him, but now you have to do the works of the law. Christ then will be of no advantage to you. In other words, if you add to him anything, then you don't have him exclusively. If you don't have him exclusively, you have nothing. Consider before you choose. And he says, continuing, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obliged to keep the whole law. If you are going to add works into your salvation, if you're going to add works into your sanctification, then you better be willing to adhere to the whole of law. You know what we often do? is We say, I'm going to do this better, and then we choose what we're going to do better, and we kind of ignore the rest. He's like, listen, if you're going to go this route, you have to have all of it. And it's crushing, and it's impossible It doesn't work. More so, you are then severed from Christ. You who would just be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, fallen apart from it. It's no longer grace, but it's works. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, these things of these covenants of the flesh or not, count for anything but only faith 
working through love, and that's the love of God through Christ. And so this morning, as we unpack some of these things, what does freedom look like? What is the flesh? What does walking by means of the Spirit look like? I hope and pray that God would do a work in our hearts and the Spirit would convict our own hearts of what He would have us turn to even this morning. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we we thank You that You are God. We thank You that You are good. We thank You that You are at work in our lives, that Your Spirit is, even as we hear Your Word read, pricking our hearts to respond to You. We're so grateful that You are patient with us. I pray for those here that don't know you, that you would open their eyes, that they may see you. I pray for those here that have made foolish choices and have have found themselves in habits, situations, and consequences that hurt, or that you would draw them close to you, that you would give them confidence they can have freedom and righteousness and the fruits of a knowledge of you that blesses their lives, even beginning today. We pray for those that have been on this wrong, long road. Lord, did you encourage them, knowing that you alone, a reminder that you alone are what we hold on to, and that you have given us freedom, and that we stand in that even today. And we pray this work would be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's dive in. There's a lot here, so we're going to have to walk through this as we look at freedom and slavery. Now, there's a lot of distortions of what this means in our world today. We're not going to get into modern slavery or early American slavery, but look at what Paul speaks of slavery in the first century. And the the idea that we live in a world that isn't defined by slavery is really foolish. Yes, men still own men in our world today, some here in the U.S., elsewhere. It's something that we ourselves, though, are free politically in name are often very much so enslaved to many different things. And so as we look at freedom and slavery, this first statement in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. The implications of that are huge. He gave his life. He humbled himself. He came to this earth to suffer the, the world as it is in its fallen nature, to give his life for us. There's no greater gift, there's no greater cost, there's no greater freedom given to us except through him. And what he's saying is, if you speak and live and work against him in this, it's an affront to that very price that was paid. And the reality is, is that we're all slaves of sin. We are born as slaves of sin. To sin. Now, we don't like hearing that. The world doesn't like hearing to that because they're free to do whatever they want. They can quit any time. They just don't. They're free to do whatever they want. But again, they're enslaved to these patterns that work destruction in their life. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says that Christ was crucified and even our own self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin in us would be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved. Goes on in verse 17 saying, you were once a slave to sin. But the truth is, is that we submit ourselves back to those same practices so quickly. And so often we go back to those same things and we don't find freedom. And he causes foolishness in Titus chapter 3. He said, listen, there was a time that we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray and slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Listen, if we forget the consequences of what God delivered us from in Christ, we easily go back to those same patterns and find ourselves in those same places that we were once freed in that moment of salvation. He goes on in Galatians, though, and speaks of the law. He says specifically, these Jews that would look to tell you to live like them, to say Christ plus the works of the law, plus the teachings of the law, plus the traditions of the law, are themselves a slave to the law alone and not to righteousness, not servants to Christ. And he goes through in chapter 4, and I'll let you read that on your own. It's an interesting discussion of 
this example of, of Hagar and of Sarah, the difference between the flesh and the faith. But he says there, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they may receive the adoption as sons, not as slaves to the law. And it's by this, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And we have a relationship now, not through the law, but through love. And we cry out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What he's saying is, listen, if you go back to these principles of flesh and doing apart from faith, then you walk out of sonship and into slavery once again. And who would do that? Know what you are doing when you lay these works of the flesh onto your righteousness as somehow needed to perfect you in your faith. Now, this is dangerous in those that would say, listen, what you do doesn't matter then. Well, Paul deals with that too. Romans chapter 6, should you continue sinning that grace would abound? Certainly not. If you're truly dead to sin, how can you any longer live in it? It's very clearly not an option. But we come back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. You have been set free. He made us free. Do not submit yourself to the bonds, the yoke of slavery. Would you turn to Colossians chapter 2 with me very quickly? Colossians chapter 2. Walk through this very briefly if we can. We do this to ourselves, even after messages like this. And this is why I warn you as well as myself, if you lay another law on your life as what's needed to perfect your faith, it's wrong. It starts with faith first. Relationship and fellowship drives our heart, drives our obedience, drives our love. We can't compel that with law. But notice what it says in verse 20, Colossians chapter 2. If with Christ you died in the ele- to the elementary spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? These are apart from morality. This is religiosity. Okay? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. It's like those that came to Jesus accusing his disciples of not having washed their hands in the Jewish purification rituals, not in the law, not in the Old Testament. And he said, don't you know that what comes out of the mouth defiles the man? The heart? Verse 22, referring to the things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts, human teachings, very interesting. These have an appearance of wisdom. You see, it's attractive to say, just do this and do that. Listen, it's easier to just do, even if you fail, than it is to be. And what's worse, our pride keeps us from humbling our hearts before a holy God. We drift in our heart to the tyranny of doing it ourselves. That's the, that's the heart of sin. I will is the heart of sin. Notice what he goes on to say. Appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and even severity to the body, but they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Look around. There are many that live very strict lives, much more than any of us, and yet struggle with the same passions and the same sins and the same abuses. I won't name churches. I won't name cults. I won't name religions. But if you look around, these words of Paul are example everywhere. They can't change the indulgence and the desires of the flesh. We've got to be warned this morning that we ourselves don't fall into the same trap, not thinking, well, the Jews, they were slaves to the law because they chose to and not miss the fact that it's throughout all human religion and all self-religion and all self-action, whole self-help section of the library falls under this same direction. And also, not just the Jews, he points out the Gentiles, Galatia, very interesting history there, 
It's one I'll save for some other time. But these Gentile gods, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the Gaelic gods, and superstitions tied to that, they were themselves once enslaved, Galatians 4, 8 and 9. You were once enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. How quickly does man heap up for themselves those that stand in the place of God or between God and man? And they take on the authority as God himself. That's slavery. That's slavery to those who are not God. He goes on to say, but now that you have come to know God, and I love this. You reading this? You've come to know God or rather be known by God. See, through Christ alone, you have a relationship. And maybe part of the reason why we tremble before a holy God is because we know that we're not enough and some of that keeps us from drawing close. But trust me, he knows us. He knows you. And he calls you, come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, those Jews that he spoke that to, were ones that were burdened down by the weights of the law that God had not written, but the, the hands of men that had stood up in his place to add to the law, layer upon layer upon layer of duty, which no man would be able to fulfill. Come and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul and me alone. Freedom. You've come to know him and be known by him. How can you turn back again to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of this world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? Sometimes we need to be challenged in our direction, the implications and realities of our choices. Paul does this very well. And what he wants us to know in, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 is that you have been freed You've been freed. Live it is the implication. He's going to talk about that. But this is, this is amazing, this statement of freedom. You don't have to submit to that yoke of slavery again. Don't do it. Know what it is. Know who you're serving. Know your choices in those moments. Listen, when temptation enters your life, you can say no. You have the freedom to say no. And whatever joy and whatever love and whatever satisfaction and passion that that temptation may hold, let me tell you that choosing to do what is right is a joy unto itself. It fills your heart and your soul, renews and reaffirms that fellowship you had because you're doing it for Him. And I tell you what, there's nothing in this world that feels like that. That it's right and it's good. Speaking of freedom and slavery, again, we don't have time to do all of this this morning. But I want to at least highlight Adolf Deisman's work. You may not have ever heard of him, um, but he was one of these early scholars in the early 1900s, before and after the First World War, that really defined scientifically that what we have in our New Testament is Koine Greek. It's referred to Koine Greek. Before that, they didn't know what it was. It wasn't classical Greek. It didn't have the same number of verb tenses or same structures that was similar. It wasn't normal Greek. It was spoken today. Some may have thought it was um, or a Holy Spirit Greek, a special language that's only for the Bible. But he pointed out very clearly in all of these inscriptions and papyri, uh, some of which this is actually the, the temple for Apollo there in Delphi, uh, right in these rocks were inscribed Koine Greek. And he was the one that proved from these ancient documents and inscriptions that when Paul was writing, when John was writing, when these first century writers were writing, that this was the common language of the day. The reason why I bring this up is because on this very retaining wall, the temple of Apollo in Delphi, we see inscribed in stone monumations, this is not emancipations, but this is the buying back of a slave's freedom. Carved in stone. And it was taken place by law. It was meant to be there as a testimony that's um, erasable, indelible. 
And it went like this. Uh, basically, the slave would be brought up in this ceremony to the temple. And the idea was that the God was going to be purchasing his freedom. Now, the reality was the slave, if he was buying his freedom, had his money set aside. It was paid to the temple. But in this show, in this moment, that money was paid to the master. And this was inscribed of his freedom. And he would be purchased by the God, but not a servant of the temple, not a priest or anything else, but the idea as now being the property of the God to serve the God, a protege, so to speak. And of course, written in stone with great warnings that they should never be enslaved again. And if you did so, you would answer to this God, in this case, Apollo. And these temples and these inscriptions were all over the Greek world, no doubt in Galatia, certainly in Corinth. And as you see these legal statements written out in stone, 2,000-year-old testaments to the very statements that we see with Paul, and you have all these lists of, of references I would refer you to in your own, but if you walk through them, you see 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you were bought with a price. These same Greek words, having been purchased for this price, used in every one of these examples. When you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, for freedom Christ set you free. Not only the words, but the very idea that you were purchased back, your freedom was delivered to you by a God who you now serve. Listen, these words as they were written and as they were spoken were more meaningful to those in the first century in part because this was the life that they lived. This was the world that they existed in. And in, the, in, in this inscription, it even said, free to do that which he will, not the, not the will of the master anymore, but free to do that which he would in service to this God. And it's interesting here, even as you look at Galatians chapter 5, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, verse 17. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to keep you from doing the things that you would do. These phrases and these statements are not just happenstance. To the very conjunctions themselves, they are quotes from what these people would have known most intimately in their daily life to the letter you were bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 7.23. Do not yourself enslave again to men. With the authority of God, don't do this to yourself. Would you turn to Romans chapter 6? We're going to turn to Romans chapter 6. We'll be back in Galatians shortly. But at the very end, if you look at the bottom of your notes, you see this huge section in chapter 7 through chapter 8 of Romans. Just so you know, we're not going to read through that this morning. And for the sake of time this morning, we're even going to be very brief with Romans chapter 6. But if you want to read these three chapters, they will be very, very helpful to you as you see what Paul says. Verse 12, let's just jump to verse 12, chapter 6. This is a command. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. You're free. Who are you serving? Don't submit yourself again to this, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your body, your members, to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one who you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have now become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed, and having been set free, have become slaves of righteousness. And I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, 
leading to more lawlessness. This is the slavery of sin, folks. It gets worse and worse. It never gets better. This path leads to destruction. Instead, present now your members as slaves to righteousness that leads to sanctification. Listen, being free and living free are not the same. And the Spirit of God, if you know Him, is calling on every one of our hearts to live in freedom and in victory. And even through our failures, our blessings to remind us of our need. But that need doesn't change. You know, sometimes we live as slaves to sin just out of indifference. Maybe you've just been coasting in your Christian life and you're like, you know what, I'm just doing my thing for now. I mean, I got my ticket out of hell card and when I die, I'll see God and we'll figure it out then. I wonder if you really know him. I wonder if you're just waiting for consequences to get too big. Paul is saying, that's foolishness. Sometimes it's through apathy. Sometimes it is through real slavery. I want you to know you can have real freedom. These aren't just words on the page, and we're going to get into that. But you can say no by God's power. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's not in your notes, but we know the words. We know that no one will be tempted beyond that which he's able to endure. But with the temptation, God will make a way of escape that you may, do, may be able to endure. Listen, you have the power of God enabling you as you walk with him to be free. If you want to talk about that, it can be complicated, it can be hard. I understand that Pastor Ken, myself, and Pastor Jim, when he returns, we'd love to walk with you through that. But you've got to choose. It's enough. Are you done? I hope so. See, the truth is what we share our life with directs it. And this is the fellowship component. This is where it's not law, it's relationship. What I share my life with directs it. You fill your life with all these worldly things. Of course, you're going to have the consequences of a worldly practices in your life. If you are isolated, you don't spend time in fellowship with the Lord and His Word or with God's people in fellowship together in times like this, in dinner, in activities that you do focused on the goodness of God, then, of course, you won't have that support. And you see in, in chapter 13 and 15, it's called a freedom. Galatians chapter 5, you were called to freedom. Only do not allow your freedom or use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch that you yourself are not consumed by one another. Listen, there's so much here, but as we look at this fellowship and the flesh, we must look at what does he mean with flesh? What is the flesh? What it, when he's talking about these things, a lot of us with the, the history of being in the church have this idea in our mind of what it is, but I want to ask biblically, what is he speaking about even here in Galatians? Well, first, there is an aspect. It's just us, the physical body. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, listen, this life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith. Okay, we have flesh. But mostly what he's speaking of here as he walks through Galatians is not speaking of the physical body. What he's speaking of is these things, these temporal actions and these abilities that we lean to, we lean on, we rest in. This is the Jesus plus sign. This is the this and that relationship. It's interesting, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, how is it if you have begun in the Spirit that you are now perfected by the flesh. We've tried this, haven't we? You know, we hide. We don't want people to know what we're struggling with because if they knew, then we'd be ashamed. And so we just say, I'm going to do this better. I'm going to do this more. I'm going to lay on another thing. I'm going to lay on another filter on my phone. I'm going I'm to lay on another restriction. I'm going to bite my tongue so I don't say bitter Wicked, 
hurtful things. I don't want to be that person anymore, and yet we do. Listen, the only answer, as he says here, is realizing that if we've begun in the Spirit, then our perfection and our improvement and our growth only comes through the Spirit. This is the greater versus lesser. The Spirit of God is far greater than the flesh. Why would we turn to lesser things as if they're the answer to these in our life? You know, sometimes we don't think of it that way, and when we do, we're like, oh, yeah, that's dumb. Well, that's what Paul's saying. This is what you're doing. That's not the answer. Listen, there's this principle in our heart. We don't want to trust and rest in him. We don't want to humble ourselves to come before him and say, help. We want to keep doing it for him, and we don't do anything. That's the key. It's begun by the Spirit. There's a higher freedom. There's a higher service. Of course, in Galatians chapter 4, he speaks of Ishmael and Isaac. But he's also talking about human passions and desires. And often as believers, this is what we think of. We probably need to think of the other because we are very self-reliant and self-willed even in our service to God. But these are very real. These are the, the elements of slavery in our life. If you want to serve something, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, then serve love. You are called to freedom. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We've got to be busy doing something. Instead, look to serve others, love others as Christ has loved you. In verse 16, he says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he goes on to list what those are. These are the things that define the world, that define our old life, the old man that we're told to put off. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. This is living that sense-filled, pleasure-filled life. Idolatry, sorcery, sorcery, pharmakia here linked to drug use. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, this pattern of comfortable life and practice will not inherit the kingdom of God because they evidence they're not of him. It's interesting here, a lot of times we chop these addictions and Slaveries up into certain parts. Issues with immorality or drunkenness are set aside from those issues of jealousy, of strife, of bitterness. Paul lays them all out the same. It's the flesh. And listen, just as much as adultery and fornication and morality and addiction to pornography can destroy Marriages, so too bitterness and envy and anger destroys relationships. We need a change of heart. This is the flesh. This is slavery. The fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, and you know these words well. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We want more of that in our life. James chapter 1 says, each of us are led astray and tempted and lured and enticed by our own desires. And when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Listen, we need fellowship. We need to have fellowship with the Lord if we're ever going to stand in the flesh by faith, that's the body, but not in the flesh by practice or principle. And that's the call and the draw on our life and our desires. Galatians chapter 1 makes this personal. I am shocked, he says. I'm astonished that you would so quickly desert him who called you in grace. As we walk away to serve these passions and not our Lord, we're walking around the very author of our own faith. In Galatians 5, he says, you're then severed from Christ if you hold on to these things. And so very quickly this morning, let's take a look at walking by the Spirit because this is the answer. You might say, wow, that's a great problem. We all know we have a problem. What are we supposed to do? 
What's fellowship look like? Very briefly, you see walking by the Spirit in verse 16. Walk by means of the Spirit. This is this peripatao, this habit of life we talked about before, according to principles of truth. And this instrument of means, walk by means of the Spirit. The best illustration I can give you is you hit the baseball with the bat. So you take the bat and you hit the baseball. You're hitting the baseball by means of the bat. And that ball, if you can hit it, I can't. But it goes flying. If you try to do that with your arm apart from the bat, I mean, some of these pitches would probably break your arm. It doesn't work. Walk by means of the Spirit. That means you hold on to the Spirit. You live driven and acting, centrally driving your words and your actions in your heart and your life by the Spirit and knowing that it's on Him that you rest and it's to Him that you look. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says this, I live by means of faith in the Son of God. That's in construction. You rest in Him. You look to Him. It's dependence on Him. And what I love about this is this is a present imperative. That means right now. And now is always now. Always. Do this. Led by the Spirit. And I wish we could have spent more time on these But this is following him morally, spiritually, led and encouraged. 1 Corinthians tells us at one time we ourselves were led astray by other things. It's the opposite. Romans chapter 2, we're told that God's kindness and patience and mercy is meant to lead us to repentance. So who are we following? You know, it's very simple. The key to freedom is when you know that God is pricking your heart, you listen. And you do what you know He's laying on your heart. And when you realize you're not, you get it right and you go back to doing what He's called you to do. You have freedom. You have victory. And I love this picture we see at the end of this passage in verse 25. Staying in step. If we live by the Spirit, that zao, that's this life He's given to us. If you know that all that you are in your life and your breath and your being is rooted in Him, then stay in step with Him. Stay in step with Him. Live rooted and grounded in this principle, in line with who He is and what He does and what you'd have Him do, as what He'd have you do. Philippians chapter 3 speaks of this. It speaks of holding true to what you know. Listen, how, how are we supposed to know what the Spirit wants? It's very simple. You've got to be in the Word. Sometimes we forget that being led by the Spirit and, and staying in step with Him is somehow not connected to His Word because we know that none of this was given to us by human interpretation But holy men of God spoke as they were carried along, as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. You want to know what the Spirit would would have you listen to. You open the Word and you read it. And you keep in step with what it says. Again, not another law, but in relationship dependent. In the Word, please tell me that I may know and understand Much like your freedom, you are free, you can say no. He will guard you. You will not be tempted beyond which you are able to turn to him in those moments and you'll find victory. In prayer, dependence, God, would you help me? I'm resting in you. Listen, this is where your dependence takes action. When you bow your heart in prayer, let me tell you, in those moments where you're really struggling, When you turn your heart in prayer and worship before a holy God, I can tell you your heart changes, your desires change. You're not even wanting what you wanted a moment before. And of course, in fellowship, as we share time with one another, as we share time with Him. And very quickly this morning, we need that. We need to be serving one another and I know we can't finish this. Unfortunately, we'll pick up where we left off a bit here next week as we look at what service looks like. Each one of us has a purpose, Ephesians chapter 4, and how that's tied to freedom. 
how that's tied to, to victory in these areas that we often struggle so much and why we're even here and what we're doing. It's loving service. It's humble accountability. Listen, we need one another. We cannot do this alone first. We must be walking with Him to do it at all. But we need one another as His family and He's meant for us to be supporting one another, loving one another. This morning, I want to ask, and I already told you to read Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. There you go. There's your, your homework. But specifically, 7 through 8, if you would. This morning, I want to ask, are you living in freedom? You know, we're on this spectrum. I hope and pray every single one of you knows that there was a point, maybe that's today, where you humbled your heart before a holy God and said, it's only you and nothing else. I have nothing to bring to my salvation and I need to be saved because I'm guilty and I'm broken and I will face you one day and I don't want to do it apart from Christ. I hope you know that all you have to do is but turn to him and say, God, will you forgive me? I'm finally here. For those of you that maybe have been walking on the edge of the world, maybe you've got a taste of the sting of what that looks like, don't walk down that path any farther. It only gets worse. It only gets bigger. And the enslavement only gets harder to get freedom from. For those of you that are living this, keep doing it. And keep encouraging one another. It's only through him that we have any of this. We ask him to do what we can't. Let's pray as we close this morning. Heavenly Father, we are truly broken and foolish and led astray so easily, not even by those outside of us, even by our own desires. Sadly, our hearts deceiving us and thinking that we can somehow be better enough for you as if it's in our hands and we forget that it's always been about you. I just pray you'd help us. I pray that those that you have secured such great freedom for already would truly live it out and would guard it, but would also share the hope of having it. And I pray that you'd help us as we look to live it out that you might use our lives somehow to share it, that others may know how great you are too. And we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.